Malachi chapter 2. Uh, the ushers will come forward now with Bibles. If you need a Bible, just slip your hand up. They'll shoot it to you. If you don't own a Bible, you can take and keep that. That's our gift to you. So, uh, man, we want you to have the word to be able to use it. You can also follow along your smartphone. You can click that, put it right in your browser. You can follow along that way. All right? And so our text today, in light of that announcement, is that uh, a very appropriate text, okay? Because no dreams, no visions, no desires, no passions, no longing for the king and his kingdom, none of that matters without our own personal godliness, without our own personal holiness, and without a true heart and a desperate passion for Jesus Christ the king. If we do not have that, then none of those things that we just talked about are possible. And as I said last week, I really do think that our church deeply loves Jesus. Like, like I think that we really desire to know him and to, to sacrifice our lives for the sake of our king. But we have to make sure that we do not grow complacent within that. As we said last week, I would rather be preemptive and say, here's what it looks like to begin to veer away from the Lord rather than reactive where we start doing a ton of awesome things for King Jesus, but then we actually lose our first love in the process. And when we start backpedaling and going, oh my gosh, what's happening? Like, like I would rather be preemptive and say, no, 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 Christ centered in our hearts is the most important thing. This is what we are here for. And so God is good. And in his goodness, he has allowed us to see what happens when you veer course in books like Malachi. And so Malachi chapter 2, we're going to go ahead and pick it right up in verse 1. It says, and now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. So God addresses the priest here first. Now, the word priest is very similar to uh, the word that we use today of pastor. Or uh, if you grew up in the Catholic church or you are Catholic in here, like even priest, that word is still used. And so pastor, priest, very similar things to the Old Testament as to what our role is today in the New Testament. The Old Testament priests were responsible for helping care for the spiritual condition in a state of the people of God. They cared for their souls and where they were with the Lord. And as similar to the pastor or the elder or the deacon today, they help people love and know and worship and understand and walk in the beauty of Christ. And this is what they did in the Old Testament too. They did this with their actions. They did this with their teaching and they did this through their sacrifices. Both them offering sacrifices of animals to cover over sin and also the sacrifice of their life that they would be able to help people see. And in a very similar way, the pastor, the elder, the deacon, the, the spiritual leader, that they still do that same thing today. Now, we may not offer sacrificial lambs, but we point to the sacrificial lamb over and over and over again. And within that, we teach, we help walk with the Lord like this is what it is supposed to look like. And God comes down hard on these men, right? Like Kimbo Slice type of hard, you know? Like this is just a hard statement because these were the people that were responsible for helping people understand and know and love and worship God. These were the people that were responsible for the spiritual condition of God's people. They're supposed to help draw people toward God. They're supposed to help people honor, love, and worship God. And instead... They are, uh, uh, at best, just doing their duty, but at worst, they're leading people to sin 
And God comes down hard on that, right? All throughout scriptures, it's really, really clear that as the leader goes, so goes the people of God underneath that leader. Therefore, character, doctrine, and, and ministry capability, those are all so highly important. And here's why, okay? I want to do a little bit of a, of a social experiment this morning. So uh, doing a live experiment in the middle of church is always dangerous because it could fail miserably, all right? And so if it fails miserably, just laugh with me and then gospel about me in your community groups or something, all right? Now, I don't want you to raise your hand yet, okay? So do not raise your hand yet. Don't raise your hand until I tell you to, okay? But how many of you have been hurt by a church or by a spiritual leader? Don't raise your hand yet, Okay. Because when I say hurt, I don't mean that the spiritual leader accidentally forgot to send you an email. All right? Like, that's not what I mean by that. Paul laughs. That must happen to him often. <laughs> right? Like, that's not what I mean. Okay? You know? Or, or they sinned against you one time. Maybe they said something harsh or forgot to honor you. Like, like we are men. Right? Like, we are not a, a God by any means. And so I don't mean, like, like, they usually try their hardest to lay down their life, to love you, to serve you, to care for you. They, they mess up every once in a while. But, but generally speaking, they love and care for you. I mean, how many of you have been really, really hurt, okay, by a church or by a leader. And so maybe it's made you question God or, or step away from the church in some ways. Maybe there was a huge moral failure amongst a, a spiritual leader that really made you stumble in your own faith. Maybe uh, uh, they led you into terrible thinking about God. The theology that they gave you about God was awful and it made you distrust God and who he was because of bad theological teaching. Maybe they were just really selfish, all right, and they really kind of cared about themselves and their glory rather than your elevation, right? Like, like maybe the, they, you got ran over and used in different ways, okay? Maybe they hurt a friend of yours, right? Like, like a youth pastor hurt a friend that was close to you, and that really hurt you as well, okay? Do you see what I mean by the differences of like, ah, oh, somebody messed up, but like, no, no. Like, there's an actual hurt, you know? Maybe they hurt your mom, and your mom stopped going to church, so you didn't really go to church, and you didn't really trust God because of what happened with a spiritual leader or a church in some way, and so... Now, with a show of hands, okay, how many of you say that you had been hurt by the church or hurt by a spiritual leader in one way, shape, or form, or another? Raise your hands. Okay, I want you to raise your hands high, okay, and keep them up. Like, my gosh. Church, look at this, right? My gosh. In every single one of those hands, when you talk to them, and if you ask them about their story, would tell you probably heartbreaking things at times that somebody has done that has made us not have respect and trust for God because of what a spiritual leader has done. That was half of our body. Half of our church in here said, yes, that is me in some way. This is why God comes down so aggressively towards the leaders because they are responsible for helping people know God and they weren't doing it. And we've experienced that in our day and age. Bad spiritual leaders leads to a mistrust of God in a lot of ways. Every single one of those hands that was up, God desperately loves you. He desperately loves you. And because people have perverted the, the goodness of God through their poor leadership, like that breaks God's heart. And that's why God's words are, are harsh, almost violent toward the priest here. Because he loves his people. He cares for his people. And he knows that when people misuse their leadership, that when people misuse their authority, that when instead of using their authority to get underneath a person and lift them up to the Lord, they actually crush a person with that authority, God hates that. God hates that because he loves you. 
This is an important, important truth, and it's so, 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 so dangerous. Now, if you have ever been hurt by the people of God, know that this was not God himself that was hurting you. You following that? Right? Like, like, like if you've been hurt by a pastor, and the second you'll hear about a pastor who will never hurt you and who will never fail you, a pastor who's a good shepherd who will never sin, who will always say the right things, you can email him at paulcarlson at gmail.com. <laughs> Just kidding, right? We know it's not a man, right? Because all of us is for sure as heck isn't me. Like, like all of us are broken in some ways, but there is a shepherd who will not fail you. However, Paul Carlson, me, whatever spiritual leader it may be, they are responsible for shadowing that great shepherd, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, and reflecting him so that you would get a good picture of him. And when leaders do not do that well, then we end up not being able to see God clearly, and that really hurts us in our faith. Friends, this is serious, right? This is why Malachi comes down hard on the leaders. Now, I would encourage you today, okay, if you have been hurt by the church, man, maybe this is the first time you step back in the church. I don't know. But separate, okay, separate the people of God from God himself and try to get a good picture and an image of God today because those two things are not intrinsically married. This God is gentle. He is beautiful. He is gracious. He is kind. He uses his authority not to command over you, but rather lays it all down that he may lift you up and make you into a whole person. This is what a good shepherd, this is what a good priest does. But he's also entrusted to his underpriest, the under-shepherd, the under-pastor, spiritual leaders, this authority. And man, when that is done poorly, this is a, a terrible thing. Pastors, leaders, do you see why this is so important? Did you see the hands that were up? Do you see why what you do, it matters? It genuinely matters. Your character is not just a reflection on your true faith although James says it is, but it's also something upon which other people will look at and they'll judge the Lord based of how you were walking with the Lord. Like this impacts the Lord, but it also impacts people around us. This is an important thing. And we have to be a people who love God, not just with the words of the gospel, with the actions of the gospel that we actually carry out for this in our life. And when spiritual leaders are not doing that, they are not adorning the gospel of God. They are not making beautiful the beautiful one. They sin, they fall short, and it paints a terrible picture of God. Now look at what the priests were supposed to be, okay? If you pick it up there in verse 5 again, he says this. My covenant with him, this is the priest, was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. Jerry Bridges, in his book, The Joy of Fearing God, says this about the word fear. He says, survival fear is the fear that comes from the Latin word service, the word for slave. It's the kind of fear which a slave would feel towards a harsh and unyielding master. It is to be subject to someone who is harsh and unyielding. This is not the type of fear portrayed in Malachi. The second kind of fear is filial fear, is the fear a son has in the relationship to his father. Philo comes from the Latin word which means son, and it is an, an indefinable mixture of reverence, fear, pleasure, joy, and awe that should fill the worshiper's heart when giving reverence to God. Those of you with good dads can actually probably understand what this is like a little bit. In fact, maybe even if you didn't have a good dad, you'd be able to understand this by applying the antithesis to what your dad was, right? 
Because bad dads, they tend to strike fear into their children, but servile fear, right? It's a, you have a fear of failure or maybe a fear of emotional or physical harm that would be done to you because of your father's anger or, or unyielding of good authority. Or maybe there's a fear of disappointing him or literally just a fear, just literally being afraid, right? But a good father, they do everything that they can to not portray that to the people, their sons and daughters, And so you may have reverence for your dad if he was a good dad. You may really not want to displease him. You don't want to to, to do punishment or have him perform punishment on you. But even if that happens, you are not fearful of him. You would still long to run back into his arms because there's a sort of reverence and awe that a good dad portrays, right? I think about Kyria, my middle daughter. She's really, really sensitive to discipline. And so when I discipline her, she is just very, very, very sensitive to that, right? But after disciplining, it's not like she's like, oh, gosh, like, don't put dad around me, right? In fact, immediately after discipline's over, she wants to hug me. And then next time I walk into the room, she's not like, oh, gosh, behave now, right? Like, no, like, she's still a child. She still has wonder. She still has awe. I was going to use Micaiah as an example, but Micaiah ain't like that. She'll just fight you back, right? (laughs) She's like, I don't need no daddy. (laughs) That's how she is. Uh, God, okay, the good father, though, he disciplines us in his love, right? And he loves us, and we long to run back to that father. We long to be there. Even when he disciplines or when he has to say harsh things, we go, I know that he will not discipline me in wrath. He's doing this because he loves me. I love him. There's a fear. There's a reverence. And this is what the priest is supposed to show, this deep affection for God. Like, like the priest should recognize the fatherhood of God and long to love him. The other thing it says there is that the priest has awe of the name of God. He has not lost his wonder, his worship, his reverence. He still clings to God. God is still wooing his heart. God is still moving in him and stirring up his affections. Has God grown dull on your heart? If so, you have to regain that wonder, that Oh, there's an intimacy with God that is needed, right? But the bad priest, no more does he see God for who he is, but rather just what he can give or what he has to do. He doesn't have a relationship, the bad priest. The, the good priest, though, they have a relationship with God. Does our lives reflect that? Keep going, verse 6. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips, He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many away from iniquity, okay? He taught the right thing, and he lived the right way, is what that's saying. He knew the scriptures well enough to communicate them, but he also lived out the scriptures, and he was a a portrayal of what it looked like to believe and trust in God. He actually did it himself to show how awesome Jesus was to follow, or how awesome Yahweh was in this context to follow, to know, to understand that it is so good to trust in God. And you don't just teach these truths, but you believe these truths and you live in these truths. That's what the good priest did. Verse 7. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Look at that. He guards knowledge, right? He doesn't allow it to be twisted or, or misconstrued in any ways. And he's also approachable because people go to him for knowledge, it says. They run, they seek him. They're not like, oh, he's too busy for me. Or, oh, like, no, no, no. He is a good spiritual father in a lot of ways that people long to love, that they long to go see. He is a messenger of the Lord of hosts. That is a heavy thing, right? But this is what the priests did. This is a huge responsibility, However, verse 8 and 9 says this, But you have turned aside from the way. 
You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. See, when it is not done right, they cause, look, many to stumble, that text says. Half the room, hand goes up when it is not done well. They hurt a ton of people and they show partiality in their instructions. They don't speak it fully, maybe because it's hard to hear and they want to tickle people's ears and win their affections rather than turn their affections to Jesus, right? Or maybe because they're just really trying to make much of themselves rather than make much of Jesus. And and this is what a bad priest does. And so the spiritual leader, okay, to kind of sum it up, is a person of godly commitment, of godly character, and of godly communication. He has a commitment in that he loves, he respects, and he worships God with all that he can, with as much as he has in his heart. His character follows God and actually lives out the things that he believes, and then his communication teaches others to follow God, to love and trust and respect him too. This is just very natural. When this does not happen, though, it creates chaos. Like, come on, do you see this importance, friends? The importance of this is heavy spiritual leaders seek God. You have to. You have to. You have to seek the Lord, right? Like Nick, brother, love God. Love God. Never forsake him, right? Cling to him, right? Huli, Christy, do you see the importance as Paul, the, the joyful burden that we get to carry as elders before the people that we would display the glories of God? right? Aaron, Jake, KC, right? Mary, Zach, people who are leading us, like, do you see the importance of this? Without character, without good communication, it messes up people's lives before God. This is a serious thing, friends. Gosh, this is so serious, right? And Malachi says, we need leaders who will actually love Jesus with all of who they are. Our lives matter, not just what we say, but what we do before the Lord. Do we believe and act out the things that we say? This is important, right? And so, like, like, are you reading your Bibles to gain reverence for God, you know? Or do we just sing songs and that's it? Like, no, we have to be seeking God, friends, because he is worthy, As we seek him, it stirs up our affections for him, and we long to love him more. Community group shepherds, are you doing this? Right? It is hard to lead a people to love God when you have not read the Bible for three weeks. Right? It is hard to lead people toward intimacy and connection to Christ when you have not prayed to him or sought his help but have done everything on your own strength for as long as you can remember. It is hard when sin is choking out your affections for Christ because you don't sever sin at the root and you allow it to creep up in your life. It is hard to do that. It is so important, friends, to seek God. If you have spiritual leadership, man, it is not just about you and Jesus. You impact the people around you, friends. This is important, Malachi says, right? Do we get, I don't hear any amens. Are you all talking with this? Right? Like, Like this is so important. They're all like, whew, good thing I'm not a spiritual leader. Ah, <laughs> ah, uh, uh, gotcha. Keep reading, verse 10, all right? It says this, have we not all one father? This is all of us, okay? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another? 
profaning the covenant of our fathers. Judah has been faithless and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves. And he has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. We have one father, and when we are faithless to our father, then we are actually faithless to one another. You hear me say this all the time. I need you. You need me. We need each other. Right? We always say that. And this is why when we say, hey, when we're serving our church, like, it's not just like the person preaching the word that gets this. Like, literally, the chairs that we were sitting in were set up by people, and this is the way we could serve God, that we would love other people. I say this all the time. There are people who it really, like, like hurts me when they're not at church, not because I'm offended, but because they're just so kind and they're so loving that I could be having the worst day on earth. And I'll walk in, they'll be like, hey, Tori, how you doing? And something about it, like it does something because their gift is that of encouragement or exhortation or whatever it is. Like I need you before I get up here and preach, right? Like there are people who are more prophetic and they speak truth and love and they're able to call out sin and help navigate. Like we need each other. And when we are faithless to God, we don't just hurt ourselves in the Lord, but we hurt people around us. We see that very, very clearly. The church is similar to Old Testament Israel where the people of God are gathered. It says that all of Judah profane the sanctuary. All of Judah. To translate that in our language, the whole church will profane God when we are faithless to God. And so, friends, you can also really hurt the people around you by not seeking God. Right? We can hurt the people that are there even more than uh, 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 the, the people who maybe even are leaders in the church. Maybe you have a, a deep relationship where you can hurt even deeper in some ways. Now, for sure, maybe you don't have the same spiritual mantle. Maybe not as many people, right, listen, but, but you can still really hurt people, okay? Let's finish our text today, verse 13. And the second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, <laughs> With weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Does he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? And what was God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Right? These husbands were not leading their wives well, but they were divorcing them for the next best thing. And we know the scriptures say that the husband is a a spiritual leader in the family. And a leader is not like the CEO, the go-get-em mentality where we think of. A leader is the person who dies for the people around him. They serve. They sacrifice. They give up their lives, right? Not like, let's go get them, follow me, listen to me, but I will do whatever it takes to elevate you. That's what a leader is. And the husbands weren't doing that because they were just kind of tired with their wives. And they were like, hey, that girl looks better. Let's go chase her. This is bad spiritual leadership. Joyce Baldwin, in her commentary on Malachi, says this, The family was intended to be the school in which God's way of life was practiced and learned. Because a divine institution as being threatened, Malachi urged that none be faithless to the wife of his youth. It is in the best interest of the individuals as well as the community that families should not be broken. 
And so once again, in marriage too, we see the spiritual responsibility. Now assuredly, maybe the judgment of the priest was harsher. Maybe they were over more people. But I mean, who's to even say that? Right? Like, like maybe just that one relationship of marriage actually is going to be the one that impacts the most amount of people. Like, man, just think about Abraham and Sarah. And if Abraham had decided to be faithless to Sarah, we wouldn't be sitting here today. So maybe even more responsibility at times. Who knows where God has, but this is an important thing. You say, whew, good thing I'm not a leader in the church, and I am glad I'm single. Worship the Lord this morning. <laughs> right? Okay? But, like, what about those around you who don't know Jesus? You know, what about those who are younger in the faith? What about the people in your neighborhood? Are you a priest to your neighborhood? In fact, if you're single, couldn't you use more of your time since it's not being taken up in marriage to actually serve the Lord and honor him? I won't go into 1 Corinthians chapter 7 today. I'll be for another day, right? But look at this. In 1 Peter chapter 2, it says this. In verse 9, it says, but you are a chosen race, a royal, what's that word? A holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. If you are in Christ, then you are a priest. That's what this text says, right? You are a priesthood, a people for his own possession. You have spiritual leadership and you have spiritual capability because the Holy Spirit has entered inside of you. Therefore, you have spiritual responsibility to people around you. Because he has given you gifts, he has given you something that you would bless the body with. Are you owning this? This is not just the leaders, though they are the, the main culprits. But Malachi goes on to say, hey, it's all of us. We are all responsible for one another. And man, in the church, like straight up, we need more priests. More people who care for the people of God, who will do what it takes, who will lay down our lives to lift up other people. Like, man, we, we have some of those. Praise the Lord for that, right? But we need more and more of that. The more priests we have, the more cared for we are. And the more the priests actually think about their lives and their holiness and they walk with God, the more we'll see God. And as we see God more, we'll worship God more, we'll want to follow him more, and he will become our affection. We need each other in this, friends. We need each other in this. Ultimately, the glory of God is what we are portraying. And this is what is important. Robbie Gallaty in his commentary on Malachi says this. It is important, therefore, to examine daily the landscape of our spiritual lives. Scripture consistently reminds readers to examine themselves. Examination of works today is better than elimination of blessings tomorrow. And so here's the deal, friends. I know, I, I know, I know. We just saw it, right? I know. I mean, some of you have been wounded mildly by leaders, and it's hurt. I mean, some of you have been wounded majorly by churches, by leaders. Like, it's maybe knocked you out the game for a while, right, because of what they do. And, man, would you hear this? I am so, so sorry. I'm so sorry. So sorry that's happened. God, in your grace, let us not be like that as a body. Friends, like, man, we're sorry, okay? But please, do not, do not allow that negative experience to, to have a negative expression of God and who he is. But spiritual leaders, do you see the importance? This is what Malachi lays out, right? This is what Malachi over and over, right? God needs to give us his grace that we would not harm people around him. And we need to cast ourselves underneath the grace of God forever and continually and never stop doing that, right? Even if we have been severely hurt by others, 
right? Even if we, we have been uh, uh, messed up or wounded, like, like none of us are the priest that Malachi is calling for in here, right? None of us have done this to perfection. None of us have actually lived this out fully, which means all of us have hurt other people around us without even really realizing that we're doing it. When we selfishly withhold our gifts because we're just mad at something, like we're not just uh, uh, rebelling against somebody we're mad at, we're hurting the people around us, right? When we uh, have been wounded even, and when we run away and don't give ourselves over, like, man, this is important, right? But none of us have been the priest to our church, to our families, to our neighborhoods, to our friends that the scripture calls out. We all fall short in this. And so what do we do, okay? Because how do we carry forth this heavy burden that Malachi just laid on top of us? How do we do that well? Well, see, the priests in the Old Testament, they were responsible for offering a sacrifice when people confessed their sins. And that sacrifice was a way with which they would be cleansed before God. It was a way to act in faith that says, hey, I believe that this sacrifice is taking on my guilt and I am now clean. It's a fresh start in some ways that they are cleansed by faith. And friends, Jesus... Not only can he forgive us when we mess up, but he is also our perfect example to follow within this. He is the priest that our hearts long for. We've been hurt by people because sometimes people are supposed to represent Jesus and they do it poorly, but sometimes we place too much burden on that leader even. But Jesus is the priest that our hearts actually long for. The reason why we long for good spiritual leadership is that it has been hardwired in us because it's supposed to point us to the true spiritual leader, Jesus. I want to read just chapter 2 again, okay? And I want to read verses 5 and 7. And instead of thinking about a physical priest like we've been doing, I want you to think about Jesus, the true priest, when we read this. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear. And he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. This is Jesus right? Jesus is the one who gave a life in peace. We're going to do that in Advent in a few weeks to see how he brought forth peace. Jesus was the one that feared the name of God, right? He had reverent respect for God. He always submitted his life to God and to who he was. He was the one that taught the right things. He did not shrink back for hard truths. He just said them, but he also poured out floods of grace with his communication when that was needed, right? Jesus is the one who said nothing wrong, who did nothing wrong, who guarded the Bible to perfection and was the one that people sought after. Jesus is the true and the greater priest. He is the high priest who lives out the priestly responsibility to perfection. Why? So that now when we as a people of God who are called to be priests like Jesus, we are Christians, little Christ, followers of Jesus. When we are called to imitate him, when we mess up, we have somebody who never messed up. And we can throw ourselves upon the mercies and the grace and the shed blood of Jesus to cover over those sins. We can run to him in repentance and ask for his forgiveness when we are not priests the way that scripture has called us out. But we also, we also, friends, now have an example to follow. As we look to Christ more, as we believe in him more, he should transform our hearts and we should look more and more like the true and greater priest, Jesus. We should look like him and imitate him and reflect him. 
so that others around may see the beauty of Christ. You know, a lot of us, we have a hard time seeing God as Father because we had bad fathers. Many people in here did. Many of you may not have even grown up with your father, right? And so it's hard for us to understand how God could be a good father because we intrinsically associate God our father with the type of fathers that we had. And so my father was a a taskmaster in a lot of ways. So I see my father, God in heaven, as a king who tells me, you need to do this. But I forget about the intimacy that he longs to have, right? Well, the priest does the same thing. The priest represents Jesus in his priestly ministry. Do you know that the scriptures say that Jesus was a high priest who suffered for you, who actually went down to earth, enclosed himself in flesh, listen, so that he may actually sympathize with you in your weakness. Like God could have just eradicated sin from heaven, but instead Jesus came down to earth, lived as a man that he can sympathize with you. He is a priest who longs for you to come to him and to say, I love you and to cry with you and to laugh with you and to mourn with you. This is the priest, Jesus. And as we believe in him, we get to imitate that to others, friends. Man, does your heart believe in Jesus? Friends, if you have been hurt by the church and this has stopped you from coming to God, I want you to know that that church was not who God is. God is a perfect priest, listen to me, who will never hurt you. There may be discipline. We just read that last week, right? That's not hurt. He's trying to help you know, love, understand, walk in him. He is a perfect father. He is what your heart longs for. And friends, would we be a church who are great priests to one another? It's important, friends. Let's use the mantle of spiritual leadership that God has given us to pour forth the beauties of Christ to each other. Amen? Hey, I love you guys. Hey, thank you. Okay, thank you for putting up with me and my bad priestly tendencies at times. I pray that we would be a church that keeps reflecting the beauty of Christ to one another and that when we sin, we would repent and that we would chase after Jesus together. Amen? Hey, let's pray together. Jesus, thank you, God, for being the perfect priest, the perfect, perfect, perfect priest. How good is that, God, that you literally are perfect to us? Man, Christ, thank you for that, God. I pray that we would be a people who portray your priestly attributes to one another well. God, I pray that if we feel the burden of where we have been bad priests or where we have not believed in your name, that we would lay that burden down before the cross and allow your blood to cover us in forgiveness and to wash us with grace. And that we would leave out of here once again with our eyes fixed on you, Jesus. God, would we be a church that does not plant a bunch of churches and send a bunch of missionaries and do a bunch of good works but neglects to have you as center and foremost? God, let us exalt first and then make disciples and then send for the glory of God. I pray that we would exalt you, Jesus. God, I pray for those of us who may be wrestling even with you and who you are. God, today, would you move into their hearts and take up residence in their soul? Friends, I pray if you are wrestling with God, he's a good priest. He's a good priest. He longs to shepherd you and to love you and to spiritually lead you into life both now and forevermore. I pray that you would welcome him into your hearts this morning. God, help all of us to welcome you into our hearts this morning once again. 
We pray this in your very beautiful name. Amen.